I got it. When I first heard about Dave being trapped in a maze. One, two, three, four. I built a labyrinth. Can you believe it? Dave is trapped in a cardboard maze in his living room and he can't get out. Welcome to Dave Made a Minute, the podcast where a whole bunch of us are exploring the film Dave Made a Maze one minute at a time. The twist. Many of the participants have never seen the film. Some don't even know what film they're sampling. They get their minutes and they tackle them as they see fit. Here's your host from the Groundhog Day Project and Michael Myers Minute, Robert Black. Minute 21, origami birds come to life and our heroes flee. To tackle Minute 21, we have me. But I've got another guest, production designer John Sumner. You come home, there's a giant maze in your living room. You're like, what the? There's a giant maze in my living room. I've heard of people rearranging the furniture, but this is wackadoodle crazy. This doesn't make any sense. Did I promise? Did I promise to my second? It's like a fucking cocktail party in here. If I get a few words from you before you go. This minute 21 begins. Gordon has just found a paper dildo in the mess of paper that covers the floor of the origami room. Gordon, second three. Wow. Cameraman, who only has one line in the film, minute 67, makes a... Oh, 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 oh. I can't do it. Oh, oh, oh. No, it's not French. <laughs> I don't know how to describe the sound. Um, he seems to appreciate what Gordon has found. Never mind my description. It sounds like this. And something, presumably the big red origami crane in the foreground, screeches. Second six, the crane in the foreground, Annie, Gordon, and cameraman in a line buried in all the paper. And this shot is a little silly, if you know, as has been mentioned before in this podcast. In the origami room, the actors were on their knees to make the room feel bigger. Second seven, close on Annie, and Mirakumbani has great eyes for this, huge and a little alarmed. Second nine, angle on the red crane in the left balcony, and it occurs to me that despite the balcony, despite the cardboard curtains, this origami room, which is probably the most complex, also has very plain, smooth walls. The visual focus is the detritus all around, the paper, the birds. And that giant face, which we haven't seen yet this minute. And there's its mouth. Second ten, beyond Annie. We're behind Annie, just like the rest of the party. She's our leader. Gordon, why are we stopping? Second thirteen, the camera moves with Annie's gaze to the balcony on the right, and there is no crane there anymore. Second fifteen, angle on the party, and knowing the actors are on their knees, I'm wondering if the heights line up right. Is cameraman usually head and shoulders above Gordon? Is boom operator usually noticeably shorter than cameraman and Annie usually shorter than Gordon? So I jump over to the file for at random, minute 33, because as the host of the show, I've got all the minutes, and freeze on a shot in the perspective room of the group. Sure enough, cameraman is not that much taller than Gordon, but he's got some legs on him. So on his knees, he'd have some extra height, relatively. Gordon is taller than Annie, but her legs are longer. And boom operator is shorter than any of them. But I forgive the filmmakers because, one, what are they going to do? Give actors knee pads stilts according to their actual relative heights? Two, this room works so well as looking so big. Three, this room was, as we've heard before, an ordeal for the production. Anyway, let's cut away from the minute and find out more about maybe the ordeal of the origami room as I talk to production designer John Sumner. You're credited as production designer. Yes. Uh, I think I even have like a small credit as a puppet builder as well. How did you get involved with Dave Made of Mace? So I think it was about six years ago. It's a while ago. Um, I was working at 
Stupid Studios, and where I do I work mostly full time there doing stop motion. And I know I knew Trisha from some previous projects we'd worked on together, and I had gotten a um, a little bit of reputation by this point of working with cardboard. <laughs> so she brought Bill over for one of the weeklies on a Friday and introduced us, and we talked about the concept for the movie. And they had originally approached me as being the art director on the project and the concept just i mean talking with bill he's a very enigmatic character and and exciting and that along with the concept for the movie was really cool and i couldn't say no to that so that's like my my introduction into the into dave made a maze but then like there was a gap in time where uh, I think John and, and Bill were focused on some writing and a lot of like fundraising and, and securing the money and space to shoot the movie. And so much time had gone by, I'd end up taking on some other work and I couldn't commit to the art director role, but I could commit to a production designer role because I could do design work at night when I wasn't uh, at the studio. And that's kind of how I got into the design process of it. And then from there, I worked with Trisha. We had a few meetings and my style I is, is a lot dirtier. So I focused on the maze itself, like the entrance and then everything within inside of it. I did like a lot of concept art for rooms, booby traps, uh, minotaur, um, like uh, brin, cardboard brin. And then Trisha focused a lot on the apartment and then how to bring a lot of that stuff into the maze. So she was sort of like the real world and, and the connection into the maze. And I kind of dove into the, the fantasy realm of everything. Now, for clarification, in terms of scheduling there, what is the difference for production designer and art director? So my understanding or my thought on art direction versus production design, um, production designer is... On the very front end of everything, um, the production designer will meet with the uh, director and go over the script and talk about the look of the show, um, certain visual elements that they're looking for, and the production designer will create designs for the look of everything, even if it's like an overview. And the art director is the person that then takes the designs and runs the art team and actually builds everything. And a lot, like sometimes those lines will blur a little bit. Yeah. Sometimes the art director will have to come in and design things, which is why um, we have uh, additional production design by Jeff White. Because as the production was happening, there were things that uh, Bill wanted and Jeff came in and did like a great job. Like I think he was very instrumental in the um, the zoetrope. And uh, later on down the road, we wanted to add minutes and then uh, the puppet the car, uh, paper bag puppet scene ended up, and then I took on the builds in there. So, so was most of your work done before production? Yeah, a lot yeah. of mine was done very early on. Um, I think I, th- I want to say it was like a, a good year before the actual build started, when a lot okay. of the work was uh, the initial artwork was done. But it was a fun time doing that though, because my kids were really uh, kind of like toddlers at the at that point, but okay. were sitting on my lap while I was doing a lot of the drawings, and they're poking <laughs> and prodding me, and I uh, got a lot of questions like, "What are you doing? What's this guy?" You know, <laughs> it was kind of a questionable dad move later on, because my kids were 
what, nine and seven when the movie came out and I watched it with him. So there's some parts that were a little above them, but it was good to see like their reaction because they were like, oh, I remember when you were drawing that. Um, nice. So yeah, a lot, of, a lot of artwork in the very early process. What is, two questions would be, what was your favorite design you did for this and what was the most difficult? I think, I think my favorite design for this one, it's a toss up. I, I really enjoyed the Minotaur. I think the, uh, the overall look of it, it varied a little different because when it came time to build it, there, there's always a difference between the design and the, and the, in the real world. Right. But I remember one of the things really coming, it was before with, with Bill's early concept, it was just like what to do with the head and. For me, I was watching um, Time Bandits, and there's like a Sean Connery has a has a part in that movie where he's actually like a Minotaur character, uh, or he's a he's a king that's wearing like a, a the head of a bull. And I took that, and then I was like, oh, you know, I'd like to bring in some more of like the Greek and Roman uh, mythology to it. So I started looking up um, pr- uh, Protarian or uh, was it Centurion guards, Roman guards, and oh, then, Praetorian. Um, I started looking at the supplies that Dave had with him throughout the, uh, the movie. And then that was like, oh, hey, you know, not only does, uh, we got cardboard, let's bring in some duct tape and the blue towel. Yeah, as his cape. Yeah. And then, um, I think at one point we were also talking about doing some like prosthetic legs for the Minotaur, but I, I think that didn't quite work out. I think they did some close up shots to show feet, but nothing where the actor had to wear like stilts. So he'd have like the, the, Oh, to get the backward knee. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think the hardest design was sort of the chrysalis room where that was where, uh, Dave and, uh, he, he confronts the zoetrope at the very end and the, the heart of the yeah. maze. Uh, early on, it went through a, a couple of different variations where, one, it was like you had to go through these tunnels to get there. And then two, it was going through these different walls. And then the overall look of what the interior looked like uh, changed from cardboard to more of like, what would a child make a fort in the house out of? And we ended up doing, going with more like bed sheets and Christmas lights for lighting. And then the zoetrope and how that played into the whole thing. And I think that was the hardest one because I think I, I did a lot to start that one but then didn't quite nail it. And then Jeff White came in and I think when he had like the zoetrope and finished that out, I think it all came together. So it was a a big team effort for that. Now, since this interview will go in minute 21 with the origami room, how much of that is your work? I did a, uh, I did a couple designs for that one. There's um, the big thing I did was the giant head at the end of the room. Uh, I did a, some concept art for that and pitched the idea that the eyes could be backlit and, um, it's sort of like this puppet thing. I think Trisha brought in the concept of it being, um, sort of a theater and having that, um, balcony area where the, the cranes reside. That one was tricky in that there there had to be multiple views designed for that one just because there's like two camera angles like when they first enter you're looking at the door they come in and then the camera turns and you're looking at the room uh, the, the head that they're going through 
And I, I know that like the build for that one, I think it's supposed to look like they're up to their 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 shoulders in origami yeah. cranes. And I think that one is only like they're all on their knees climbing through there. Yeah, it's I was just, just I was just making notes on that and pointing out that their heights are all wrong because they're on their knees. Yeah. <laughs> because like Scott Narver isn't that tall, but he has really long legs. So in the origami room he is way above everyone. <laughs> And Gordon is tiny. You can barely see his head because he just has short legs. Yep. But he's not that short. I know. And then they're crawling around on their knees. Was it Artie Lang is the the boom operator? Isn't that Frank? I'm sorry. Yeah, Frank. um, I'm sorry. I'm getting my uh, mad TV characters mixed up. (laughs) Um, That was actually like really I sort of geeked out about it when I I found out who the cast was. Because none of these characters were were cast uh, when I got a hold of the script. And, uh, yeah, to see the, like, uh, the people that they chose, it was, it was really cool. But yeah, no, he did a great job with the, uh, the crane on his shoulder. Uh, yeah, the little one. Yeah. So were you there at all on set? I unfortunately did not get the opportunity to. I, um, I had done like a mock-up, uh, cardboard hand, uh, early on when I was doing concept art and... Like Dave's hand? Yeah, I ended up using like a lot of masking tape to sort of build like a glove and then attach cardboard to that. And Jeff White wanted me to come in and help out with it. And I actually got sidelined with a surgery. So I was, uh, I was laid up at home for a while and I missed the, uh, the builds. So unfortunately, no, but then the scene later on with the, uh, the cardboard or the paper bag puppets came up later on. Yeah. Um, much later I got, I had got our, uh, my hands dirty on that one so I was, I was thankful for that scene to, to pop up so you're more pre-production what was what's a story we wouldn't know from pre-production oh a lot of the pre-production stuff happened in like coffee shops <laughs> um a lot of it was scheduling because we all have different uh different jobs we were working and then trying to find a time to meet up which usually ended up being like nine or ten at night and, and it was like between Trisha, Bill, and myself, and then sometimes John. Um, I know we met at John's house a couple times. The producer, cause yeah, he had the space, and um, I, I think for me though, I was I was kind of an isolated character on it because of the pre-production. A lot of mine was at home, and it was a lot of late nights. But I was one story I have on this one is I I um, I'm really grateful for Bill bringing me on this one. I I hit like a kind of an artist block in my huh. daily routine, my life, um, kind of going through the motions at the studio. And so when this project started into the production design aspect of it, I started pushing, uh, the way I did the artwork. And the more I thought about it, the less like cleaned up I had to make everything because in the day-to-day stuff at the studio job, things had to be really clean and tight for commercial work. And this one, it was more getting in the mind of Dave and what kind of artwork would he make. So a lot of times, in my mind, as I'd start, I'd be like, okay, I'm kind of bored. I've got all these different hobbies, but then I want to just sort of get these ideas out, which led to a lot of like dirtier, sketchier work for me and kind of like Photoshopping a lot of different things together. And it kind of was liberating. So on a personal note, um, I grew as a, a lot as a, as an artist doing the production design. 
And then it was really nice to like walk in and, and hand those off to Bill and like see his reaction and going, oh, this is great. This is, you know, I wasn't even thinking we could even do this. And, or, you know, I, I love the ideas you're bringing on this concept. And so it was always good, like to get that sort of affirmation out of it um, from a personal point of view. Anything else we should know <laughs> about you? I've been working in stop motion for a decade now. That's my primary focus for the entertainment industry, uh, working at StuBuddy Studios. Uh, I was fortunate enough this last year, I got uh, nem- nominated for a Creative Emmy for uh, Buddy nice. Thunderstruck, which is a stop motion show on Netflix, which is a, it's a fun show. It's, I think if you mix, uh, what was it, Dukes of Hazard with Fantastic Mr. Fox, you <laughs> kind of get the, the gist of it. It's, uh, it, it really is like, it, it's more Dukes of Hazard, I'd say. So if anybody gets you get the chance, check it out. Um, just a fun show where you have like a dog buddy thunderstruck who races semi trucks. Um, Dave made a maze. I think is my favorite uh, live action production design project I've ever worked on, and it's amazing that it's been going for so long. Like I know for like a lot of people, it's sort of oh hey here's the movie, check this out, and then that's what they see of it. And for me, it's kind of been like the better part of a decade. Yeah. And uh, to finally see it, like, go from the very beginning to the... It's almost like pushing out a child, even though it's not <laughs> even my child. I'm more like a stepfather than anything. Um, but um, to sort of help usher that into the real world. And then to have people like like you are super interested in it, um, it's sort of new for me to get kind of any attention on any project I've worked on, but it's happened a few times where people have seen this movie and they're like, I think I saw your name on this one. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, oh yeah, I, I worked on that, didn't I? It's, it's been a while since I remember it. But yeah, I don't have a huge online presence. Um, yeah. So I don't tend to say, hey, look at me too much. I, I usually create something and then and then find myself working on another project and move on. Uh, so it's it's always like a fun experience to to meet somebody and then they're like, oh, what did you do on this? How was it? Like that must be really interesting to have something from the beginning and then see it go all the way through. Because you know the nature of our industry and the entertainment field is you know a lot of people pitch projects and you get some interest in it and then it goes into development hell and then nothing ever happens. Right. So it's a it was good. It's like really, really a satisfying project. Good. It's good to hear. Back to the minute at hand. Second 15, angle on the party again as Annie answers Gordon with a question of her own. Where's the second one? Second 18, we're in the middle of the party, almost boom operators POV, as cameraman turns around. Second 19, one of the few times the cameraman's camera is our camera. We get his POV as he turns to Boom Operator and the missing red crane erupts from the pool of paper and comes at the camera. As it attacks, Boom Operator lets go of the boom with one hand, but does not lower the boom because that would be wrong, and we catch a brief glimpse of Harry behind him. Second 22. Angle down the line from the front as the crane keeps attacking. Second 24. Reverse shot as the giant cardboard head belches out a whole lot of tissue paper and smoke. Second 25. We get our Indiana Jones shot as the door to the room starts to lower. Nice close up on the capital D above the door. Second 28. Angle on boom operator, using the boom as a weapon as Harry turns and notices the door is closing behind him. Second 29. Reverse on cameraman, fighting off the crane. Second 30. Boom operator again. He raises the boom like a spear and jabs downward with the handle end. Second 32. 
lots of quick cuts and rousing music. What was a scene of, in Harry's words, childlike wonder, has turned into a big action set piece. Second 33, Annie takes charge, again, as Gordon ineffectually throws a bit of crumpled paper at the crane. Annie, there's got to be another way out. Second 34, close on the door and the great V-shaped layers pointing downward. Second 36, the door slams with a sound effect that deliberately makes it feel more like some old stone tomb than anything made of cardboard. There is finality to it. In this moment, the party is trapped. Angle on boom operator, still stabbing away. He's got some good grunts going on. We can hear Annie in the background. Second 38 with a crazed yell. Is he screaming die? Boom operator puts what should be a final stab into the crane, and we zoom in on the madness of his face, his mouth wide open. Second 40 cut to the big cardboard head's mouth, spewing more paper and more smoke, and it's getting louder. Second 41 pulled back, Annie in the foreground facing the mouth. Second 42 angle from inside the mouth on Annie. She crawls toward it. Second 44, her hand on its lower lip. She turns. Gordon comes into view as Annie pushes the mouth open. Annie, guys, get in the mouth. From the look of the action in the background as Gordon crawls up and he and Annie block most of it, that red crane was not killed by Boom Operator. Cameraman is definitely still struggling with it. Second 48, reverse angle as Gordon crawls into the mouth. The big cardboard head's backlit eyes look downward. And it turns out Gordon is the kind of guy who lets his pants hang low in his underwear show. Second 49, cameraman turns and heads for the mouth. Annie, go, come on. Second 50, reverse. Cameraman trudges forward, the crane behind him still alive. Boom operator seems to have stopped stabbing it, though. Second 52, close on Annie holding the giant cardboard mouth open. Cameraman crawls past her in the foreground, filling the screen with nothing but Scott Narver for a moment. Boom operator's arm comes into frame, but second 56, cut to close on the cardboard head's eyes, frantic. Second 57, angle on Annie again. Harry, in the foreground, hesitates before entering the cardboard maw. Cut to close big cardboard head's eyes and the minute ends and then i could probably disarm all the traps and then we can we can finish this maze who is with me that was me robert black of michael myers minute taking on minute 21 of dave made a maze thanks again to john sumner i will be back in minute 27 next time on dave made a minute we've got sean german and dave palace from groundhog minute along with james costa of whole week costa taking on minute 22 Thank you for listening to Dave Made a Minute. Intro dialogue snippets were taken from Dave Made a Maze, directed by Bill Watterson, written by Bill Watterson and Steve Sears, and produced by John Charles Meyer. Intro music is Diversion by The Equals, featured in the film Dave Made a Maze, and Life Cycle of a Match by Parvis Decree. Outro music is Leaving This Godforsaken Place, and Her Presence is Strong Here by Parvis Decree. Dave Made a Minute is a production of Lemming Drop Studio and all other featured podcast producers. You can find more content at lemmingdrops.com. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Dave Made a Minute. If you like what you hear, throw us a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice, and check out all of the participants' other shows to spread the love around. Again, thank you for listening. As long as we're all working together, this is going to be fine. It's going to be great. I need you to notify the families of everyone who died here today. Totally. Wait, what?